0: Hey, welcome to the crossing. Hey, while we're clapping, let's give it up for South Shore, Plant City, our online campus. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the crossing. I believe the Lord has got a great, got a word for us today, and I think we're we're really tapping into something that is the heart of God, and that is community. Um, but I also want to say that I had an opportunity this week to talk to Pastor Greg and meet with him. The elders went over and spent some time with him, and and he's doing really good, really good. Really good, and uh, he actually called me Thursday and, and gave me a testimony and said about breakthrough. And I don't want to, I don't want to steal his thunder. So I'm gonna let him tell you all that happened uh, with him. But it was it, God has ministered to him and his family, and it's just awesome. It's awesome. So I want to say thank you, Pastor Greg, Pastor Tamra, for letting me fill in while you're out. We love you, don't we? Love them. Don't let's give it up for them. We love y'all. Hope to see you back soon. So uh, I, I want to encourage you to join us in the park. Uh, so today we're going to end the fast, and I'd like for us to end it together. Uh, we'll, we'll be in the park praying for a little a little while, and we'll come together. We'll pray, and then after that, we'll we'll break our fast and. We're just believing God to do some great things, and he already is doing great things, and we're seeing shifts in our community and in the nation, and we just, we just need to keep praying for our nation. We need to intercede for our, for our nation. I, th- I really believe that we're in a pivotal time. Um, for God to move in our nation and for some things to be exposed that I think have been undercover for a long time and manipulating us as believers. There's a real war going on for the church, and if you don't believe so, just look at what's happening to the church in California and Nevada. Um, There are pastors who are being uh, threatened to, to be imprisoned and have been given uh, eviction notices from their churches saying they can never meet again because they, they, they chose to meet. Um, and that's, that's, that's illegal. That's not, that can't be done in the United States, but it is being done. We need to intercede for our brothers and sisters who are at, really at war against powers and principalities who are trying to shut down the church. And that's what our fast and our prayer has been about. So we've been talking about life groups and uh, we've heard some, you know, some great messages on life groups. You know, don't go alone. We shouldn't go through life alone. We should go together with other people. And that's how God created us, was to, to do life in community. Now, we've heard some great messages. And today, I just want to give us the why for life groups. You know, why do we do life groups? Um, so let's pray real quick, and I'll jump right into it. Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for revelation. Holy Spirit, we invite you in now. And ask that you would, you would guide me as I speak. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know you better. And uh, I bind away the, the, the attacks of the enemy that would try to steal away the word that is being planted in our hearts and our minds in Jesus' name. That would try to twist things that are, that are said uh, to be hurtful and not helpful in Jesus' name. I ask, Lord, that you would unstop the ears of every person that is hearing this message and speak to our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. So today we're going to be talking about the why of life groups. And the biggest reason why is we now live in the most connected society that has ever existed on earth as we know it. You know, we've been on earth, if you believe the Bible, a short 6,000 years, and we can track most of that history. And And it looks like we are the most connected. We have phones. We have, you know, video conference. We have email. We have Voicemail. We have snail mail. We have, you know, we have we have all kind of instant messengers. We have uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. I mean, you can just keep going down the list of things that we have that we can communicate with one another. But the truth is, we seem to be the most connected. But the truth is, we are really the most disconnected society that has ever existed. We really are. We've we've traded real relationships for pseudo relationships, fake relationships we think we're known by others but we're really not we they know our highlight reel and we know their highlight reel and we're really not known by others the church had to create I want you to remember this the church in America has created life groups because we have lost biblical community and life groups help reinstate biblical community to the church in America, in in, in, in Europe and, and other nations, industrialized nations, we've lost community because we've lost, we've really lost family. And I'm gonna talk more about that in just a minute. But the Bible tells us in Acts 2, 4, and 4, 42 it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. It's given us a, a breakdown of how we should. Grow as believers, first to the apostles' teaching, which you do here on Sundays. You come, and you, we, we come together, and we, you're taught, and you learn something. Or you come to a class, and you learn something, and you're growing in the Lord. Or you go to our Bible college, which will help you grow in the Lord. You learn from the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and breaking of bread. That fellowship right there is a word that, that the Greek word is koinonia, koinonia. Which means a brotherly relationship, a brotherly or sister relationship, where you know one another intimately, and you are you are friends, and you do life together. It's a, it's a it's a doing life together. It's it's a koinonia. It's a it's a relationship that I know you, and you know me, and 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 you know my 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 good, my bad, my ugly, and I know yours too. And we pray for one another, and we help one another. And it says the breaking of bread, so we eat together also. And and truthfully, relationships happen best over food. So if you want to hang out with me, just feed me. <laughs> we'll be good. <laughs> and then it says to prayers. So and we, so we pray daily, but we also pray corporately, and we pray for one another. So corporately, we offer that every Wednesday at noon. And if you can't be here, you can always tune in online, and you can you can you can join us online and pray then. And in Acts two forty six, it says. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, meaning the ministries of the church, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. So it shows a community of believers that are living together, that are growing together, that know one another and are are moving forward in the things of God. Now I want to talk to us a little bit about the breakdown of the family in industrialized nations. Because still in some cultures, uh, the family unit has not broken down like it has in, in, in industrialized nations. So you look, <clears throat> you look at some cultures and they have multi-generations in one household or on one property. They might build different houses on on the property or they may have like a courtyard and different sides of the house belong to different generations. You may have the grandmother, grandfather, the mother, father, the sons, the daughters, the grandchildren, all in one household. You may even have aunts and uncles and, and cousins that all live within very close proximity to one another on the same property in other cultures and it's very healthy for the family unit living in that there are so many articles out and we could spend all day long talking about how healthy it is for multi-generations of family to live in close proximity to one another or even in the same household you know one of the coolest things i i I saw is my my wife and i went to jamaica on our 20th uh, wedding anniversary and uh, you, you saw these houses that were you know two or three stories, and th- then the top floor was not finished. you saw rebar sticking sticking up, and you know uh, it was they're all blocked, of course, because you know hurricanes are, are a real thing and um, <clears throat> so they I asked what that was, and they said, "Well, what happens is a, a, a family lives there, and it's multigenerational. so when a son marries a wife, then that him then him and his wife finish that next floor and they'll live there and have kids. And then when their kids grow up and marry and have other kids, they'll build another floor and they just keep building up and multi-generations live in one household. And I thought that was really cool. But anyway, it used to be like that with us too in America. The disconnectedness we experience is a very young thing. It's only, you know, 40 to 60 years old that it's gotten to kind of a critical mass where it has begun to erode away uh, the family and, and pull us apart as a family because uh, pre-industrial revolution and that's when it started pre-industrial revolution the the life the world I just painted for you is the one that was around and a good you know a good a good uh, TV program to, to watch if you want to get a, a look at this multi-generational household and I know I'm going to date myself here so that's why I'm stalling a little bit. Have you ever seen the Waltons? Let me see. There's like four or five people. Seen the Waltons. You know, you got grandma and granddaddy. You got everybody in the house. You got friends down the road that just come by. And if you'll notice something, they had front porches. The front porch has disappeared from, uh, from construction in America, from houses in America, because the front porch used to serve a purpose for community. You didn't have to clean your house up. You didn't have to clean the kitchen up. After you ate dinner, you could go out on the front porch and your, your neighbors would drop by kids would play out out in the front yard and and they would play with neighbors kids and and there was community there but after the po- after the post industrial revolution after that it separated generations from households because the younger, they would come up in in that household and they would hear about an opportunity in the city to go make more money so they would move to a city where it was industrialized so they could make more money and even send it back home to help out because times were hard economically at that time and and they needed to make money to be able to help out at home so they would leave and then they would go build a family in in that city well that that separated them from the network of their family and that was post industrial revolution but the the thing is you still had you still had a front porch on the house cuz they would build suburbs and in those suburbs they all had a nice front porch and 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 you know people in the neighborhood would still come by and just drop by friends would come by kids would play in the streets and play in the front yard with other people's kids everybody knew one another and and and, and that was That was, you know, pre-1947. So that was the post-industrial revolution. But people would still come by and we had community. But then came around about the nuclear family. And I believe that the nuclear family was produced by the creation of the air conditioner. (laughs) They put the first air conditioner in a house in 1947. And in the 1950s, front porches started disappearing from the architecture of houses because people would no longer hang out on their front porch so it no longer served a purpose. They hung out inside the house. Now even in the 50s and 60s and 70s, my, you know, I came up in the 70s, 80s, and, and I remember our neighbors would come by, my friends would come by, they would just walk in the house, you know, even though we were hanging out in the house because it was cooled in the house and it was hot outside or it was cold outside and it was warm in the house, people would still come by and they would drop in and just walk in. My friends would just walk in my house, they would go to my parents' cupboard, and they would just, you know, make themselves at home. They would eat, whatever. My parents fussed about it like I fuss about my kids and their friends right now, eating all the stuff in my house. I, I, I've been threatening to put a lock on everything, but I just hide what I want to eat, so, I, so can't none of them get to it. <laughs> or I put on it, don't touch this. And then after it's empty, they're like, oh, I didn't see that. <laughs> Whatever. You saw it. <laughs> so what it did is it separated us from Community. And when we get separated from community, it, it begins to isolate us and get us in a place where, peop, where friends can't help us work through issues we may be having in our life. And it, and it produced what's called a nuclear family. And the nuclear family is just a mother, father, and, and sons and daughters. And this is the first time, well, I, actually, yeah, this is the first group of people who have ever looked at their 18 year olds and said, I got mine, you go get yours. Get out of my house. We're all a product of that, every one of us, up until this, up until this time. Now, there's a movement now to go back to uh, communal living among families, um, and I think it's, it's really, it's really uh, spurred on in America by the Hispanic culture because they, they've never really lost that, and which is a really good thing. It's a great thing, and I, I thank God for it. It's changed my way of thinking. But now, now we have a, a blended family, which is, you know, you have multiple households in one household, and this, you know, it's, it's, been a, it's been a whole thing, and God redeems it all, so don't feel bad about any of these things that, you know, I told my kids early on, you get 18, you hit hitting the road, Jack. I'm tired of feeding you. <laughs> but then they got 18, and I'm like, well, man, I've made every decision for them in their life. If I throw them out now, I'm throwing them to the wolves, you know, I mean, it's... It's kind of bad, but if you look at other societies that are more successful, they actually train up their kids and teach them how to do business and how to operate in the careers that they, they want to pursue and the things that they want to do in life. You know, all, all, this, is, all this has been a degeneration of the family unit, and, and, it, and it turns, it, it's turned out to be to our harm instead of to our good because now we dishonor the elderly. We don't, we don't, we don't honor them. You, the younger generation doesn't honor the, the gray-haired, which we need to learn from. And I keep, I'm saying that now because I got more gray hair—not here, but here, got it right here, right here. But you know, so I, I see it now where they're out of touch. And what it does, it dishonors them. And then the older generation looks at the younger generation and like, y'all just don't get it. And there's dishonor all over the place where it should be an honorable unit together moving forward in life together. It has destroyed community in our, in our, in our world. And the church had to recreate it by doing life groups. You know, it, it, I want to tell you, there, there's another thing that's caused a problem in, in where we are right now, and it's called social media. And social media, I'm going to give you six ways that social media is ruining real friendships. So the first one, it creates a false sense of intimacy. True relationships in life are forged from life's ups and downs. Think about it. The people that you love the most and that you're the closest to, you have gone through some tough times with those people. You have struggled with those people. You have gone through life's ups and downs, and you're still together. And those people you have shared experiences with. But on social media, I can friend you on social media, and we'll be friends on social media. I see your highlight reel. You see my highlight reel. And I think I know you, and you think you know me. But we really don't know each other at all. At all. At all. You know, and even the online gaming communities that are out there, you know, we call them communities, but really we don't know each other because we've not gone through things together. We've not struggled with one another. We've not prayed for one another. We've not fasted for one another. We've not, we've not stood in the gap for each other because we don't know what each other is struggling with. All we see is the good things, the highlight reels. It creates a false sense of intimacy, like we know someone when we really don't know them. Here's my breakfast, bam. It looks great, don't it? You didn't know that it made me nauseated later. (laughs) It looked really good, but it was bad. I don't know what was wrong with it. Anyway, we'll get off that. It creates a false sense of community. It it makes us think that we have the support of people because when we say something, they'll like it or they'll reshare it or they'll comment on it supporting us. So we think we have support of people when we really don't have their support. And I can prove it. Break down on a, on a road somewhere, get a flat tire, and post it on Instagram, and see who shows up. <laughs> now, if you have a real friend that you've struggled in life with that sees it on Instagram, and they're in driving distance, they'll, they'll call you and say, hey, I'm on my way. And they'll come help you. But what you'll get from everybody else is, man, there's a tire store 15 miles from where you are. <laughs> You know, you might want to call the road warriors. I heard there's a road warrior thing in in Florida. You might want to get some help by them. And, you know, you'll get all kind of advice on what you should have done, but won't nobody really show up to support you. It creates a false sense of community. It keeps us from being fully known and fully knowing other people. We don't know their struggles. That's why we can see people on social media and it looks like they have a great life and they end up killing themselves. And we don't understand that, that on the other end of that great life they were portraying, they were really alone. And they, were, they, were, they felt isolated and like nobody cared. Even though they got all these likes and all these, all these things, they, they're really alone. God didn't design us to be alone. It keeps us from being fully known. All you really know is a highlight reel or possibly somebody's political view. Right now, everybody's spouting out political views. I just got so sick of it, I had to remove myself from Facebook because I'd get provoked, and I would just, I would want to comment. But if I comment as a pastor, I'm going to alienate somebody, and I can't do that because I, I, I'd rather love on you than alienate you. And, and so I had to separate from that and just pray. And there's so much information flying around, you know, when there's an overload of information, you don't know what's true and what's not true. So it's hard to know. But we don't it it creates it, it keeps us from being fully known by other people and fully knowing other people. They don't know our struggles, our fears, our victories, our dreams. They don't know that. Number four, it turns us inward. We no longer focus outward, which is what our life is to be about. Our life is to be about other people. We focus inward and in how do I look? What do, what, how good is my story? How many likes did I get? It's all about me, 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 me. And, and I mean, think about it. Think about it. A selfie? I mean, it's pretty much in the word selfish e. Selfish e. Some- <laughs> we, we should change it to that. Selfishy. Here we go. Ah, I'm so cute. No, you're not. No, I, no you're not. Uh, everybody wants to know what I have for lunch. Check out my lunch. Don't nobody care what you have for lunch? I, I, anyway, I, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop before I make somebody mad. <laughs> uh, see, now this is that moment when I'm looking at my notes, and my notes just went blank. Hopefully they come back. Oh, my god. There they are. All right, number five, it sets unrealistic expectations. See, now what it does is it makes us think we have to live up to some standard that my friend, oh man, my friend's always hiking, they're always on a paddle board, they're always surfing, they're always climbing mountains, they're always doing this and doing that, and my life is boring. And the truth is, they did all that in one week and they're posting pictures all year long like they're doing it all year long. It was just one vacation. That's all it was. And we feel inferior because we can't do the same thing. And also, you expect me to know, I I got like, you know, a couple few thousand friends on Facebook, and I'm expected to know everybody's birthday. I'm sorry, I love you, but I ain't going to know your birthday. I might miss it. Or somebody will come up to me, man, did you see that post I made? And I'm like, no, I, I didn't see it. And then they get mad at me. I'm like, I, I'm sorry, I don't live on Facebook. I'm sorry I don't, you know, didn't see your post. But it creates an expectation of me that I'm supposed to see and like everything you do. And if you're expecting that of me, you're gonna be sadly disappointed. I'm sorry. I love you. Anyway, you know, let's hang out. Let's not just do Facebook stuff, because I don't do that anyway. And if I say Facebook, I mean social media, all social media, because but since I'm from the South, you know, we call we call a coke, any kind of pop. You know, say you want a Coke? Yeah, I want a Coke. What kind? Well, I want the orange. You know, I'm from the real South where we call everything a Coke. But anyway, so if I say social, if I say Facebook, I mean all social media. That's what I mean. (laughs) The worst thing about it is it keeps us from having shared experiences, shared experiences. That's what forges friendships having shared experiences and and going through tough times together. You know, you can have a surface relationship with someone, but until you you and that person hit a place that is tough, a place that, that you may not make it through in the friendship at that place unless you sit down and have a hard conversation. Until you get there and you have the hard conversations and you work through the relationship and you come out on the other end stronger, you don't have a real relationship with them. You know, that's why, that's why so many people, you know, quit on a marriage. They, they hit that first bump in the road where it's like, oh, my God, we may not pass this. Well, yes, you will if you dial in and you, you dig into it and you work with one another and you work through it and you, you, you come through it on the other side closer and, and knit closer together and loving each other more. you got to work through those things. Those shared experiences are priceless, priceless. Remember, the church created life groups. Because we have lost biblical community. And here's God's pattern for community. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship and breaking of bread, and to prayers. And it says in Acts 2, 46, it says, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They spent time in the church, and they spent time with each other. Wildlife groups? Now I'm going to give you some why we do it. The first one is godly friendships. Did you know that the Bible says that bad company corrupts good morals? If we all we ever hang around are people that we work with that, that are, their lives are a train wreck, then you become the sum of the five closest people to you. If the five closest people to you are train wrecks, then guess what? You're going to be one too. But if they're, if, they, if they're loving God and moving forward in their relationships and growing in the Lord, then you will also. we become that. Bad company corrupts good morals. The Bible says that, 1 Corinthians 15, Godly friends will help you overcome obstacles that you never see in yourself. You know, the Bible says in Proverbs that wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. An enemy will flatter you. Because flattery is a subtle form of manipulation. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't praise one another and tell each other we did a great job, but someone who flatters you all the time really has an issue with you. So if you're always around somebody who's singing your praises, don't believe that that's what they believe. Because the Bible is clear. The Bible doesn't lie. But the Bible says wounds from a friend can be trusted. So a real friend will tell you when you are behaving in a way that is detrimental to your family. A real friend will tell you when you're behaving in a way that is hurting you and destroying your life and your children's lives. A real friend will confront you and say, man, you got to quit doing that. When you say that or when you do that, it does this to other people and, man, you got to quit, man. That's a real friend because it will be so much easier not to do that, to just, you know, if you do something that offends me or hurts me or makes me angry, then the easy thing for me to do is to say, you know what? We're no longer friends. I just won't return your texts. I won't return your calls. I won't like any more of your stuff. I'll just just disappear from your life. I'll ghost you. And you'll never know it, but I don't like you. But a real friend will say, you know what? I love you enough that we're going to talk about this. A real friend lays down their life for another. Jesus talked about it in John 15. He said, you know, you know, he said my command he said love one another as I have loved you no one has greater love than this that someone lay down their life for his friend. Amen. I got some friends I would lay down my life for. <clears throat> and that might just mean I lay down my own selfish agenda of the things I wanted to do so that I can spend time with them. So that I can help them. So that I can walk with them. But there are some friends I'd take a bullet for. Amen. Now, I would before I took a bullet, I would send a lot of bullets the other way. <laughs> Hopefully, I wouldn't have to take it. I could just send them, but you know, I would take it too. I just don't want to take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, <laughs> the next one: <clears throat> godly advice and counsel. Number two: godly advice and counsel. These are. This is why we do life groups. You know. Like I said, we become the closest five people to us. We become them. Godly friends give godly counsel. The Bible says in Proverbs 27:9, it says the heartfelt counsel of a friend is as sweet as perfume and incense. There is no counsel. Uh, there, there is no counsel. The people fail. But in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. In the multitude of godly counsel, there is safety. People that love the Lord will help you through tough situations. The next one is love. <clears throat> love is what you'll you find in godly community. You can't love, love others or be loved by others outside of godly community. In John 13, 34 through 35, it says, a new command I give you that you love one another as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, you will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know, it talks about how people of the world know who we are, and it's because, if we're disciples of Christ, it's because we love each other. But the enemy in America has figured out how to divide us. And I, I would propose to you today, it all started with the eroding away of the family unit, of the, of the community in a family unit. That's where it starts. That's where most wounds happen. That's where most... I know I've done stuff to hurt my kids. <clears throat> my parents did stuff to hurt me. All of our parents have done stuff intentionally or unintentionally to hurt us, but the enemy is at work eroding away at the family unit. And the truth is, if he can divide us there, he can divide us everywhere. And we begin to be divided, and we don't love one another anymore. You know, love, the whole love chapter, man, check it out. It's all a choice. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. Keeps no record of wrongs. It's all, they're all choices. They're all choices that we make. Number four, Evangelism and discipleship happen in life groups. Why life groups? Because evangelism and discipleship happen there. The Bible says in 1 Tim- 2 Timothy 4, 5, says, Be watchful in all things, endure affliction, and do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. So we're all supposed to win people to Jesus, but how are we going to win people to Jesus if we hadn't won them to ourselves? If we haven't become friends with them. You know, I hear people sometimes say, Well, I don't have a lot of friends. Well, the Bible says if you want friends, go show yourself friendly. Truth is, we don't, we don't have friends because we're not not really friendly. If we have a problem having friends, we got to check ourselves out to see if I'm very friendly to people, or if I'm so inwardly focused I'm shy and reclusive. You know, people, oftentimes when we're shy, we're always worried about. We walk into a room thinking everybody's looking at me, but the truth is nobody's looking. <laughs> it's okay. It's like people want you to be successful. People want you to be friendly. People want to be your friend. And when you begin to believe that and act like that, you begin to have more friends. Show yourself friendly because you have to win people before people can be won to Christ. Now, you can go and you can stand up on a table at work or, and start preaching to people and you know, tell them they're all going to burn in hell if they don't turn. You know, but I speak from experience that do not work out too well for you at all. <laughs> it is completely fruitless. People don't turn. They really just want to watch you burn and want to set you on fire. You know, But yeah, yeah, you might not want to do that one. You might want to be their friend first. <laughs> but we're to make disciples. Jesus' last command was go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything I have taught you. So we're supposed to make disciples. Well, how do we do that? We do life with people. You don't have to be a theological scholar. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a biblical scholar to be able to, to just do life with somebody. You just do life with them. You just hang out with them. You know, all you have to do to lead someone is to be one step ahead of them. You don't have to be a, you don't have to be a, a college graduate and have a biblical degree to be able to lead a life group. You know what you have to do? You have to love people. Period. You have to just want to do life with people. Be willing to open up your home or either go to a host home and, and allow, allow people to be part of your life. That's all you have to do. You don't have to be some biblical scholar. Number five, why do we do it? Because in life groups, you find belonging. You belong. Believers support one another. In, in Ecclesiastes 4 9 through 10, it says, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor for if they, if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who, who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. You know, they don't have the little life alert. You know, if I've fallen and I can't get up, they don't have that. So they don't have anybody to pick them up. They've fallen. Think about that in life, man. You know, I, I learned last week about a young man who, who committed suicide. He was 22 and And uh, he was actually supposed to go fishing the next day with a friend, or or I think it was was with his father, the next day, and he went home and committed suicide because he was alone. He felt alone, and nobody knew. When someone falls and they're alone, it's a lonely place. Hey, don't go alone. Get in a life group. Seriously, get in a life group. I don't, care. I don't care how old you are. We have life groups for, for students. We have life groups for all, all ages. Get in a life group. We're here to support one another. We build each other up. Now, in Hebrews 10, 24, and 25, it says, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling together of ourselves. The Bible tells us not to forsake this right here. Remember a while ago I talked about the apostles' teaching. This is what we do here. We don't forsake this. You know I've heard people that don't go to church say, "Well, me and Jesus got our got our thing." Well, not really, because He just said in the Word, "Don't forsake this." And if you don't forsake, if you forsake this, then you're not doing what He said. That's the bottom line. Now I know we're in a time right now that's pretty scary to some, and some 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 of you out there on the other end of that camera. You have compromised immune systems. So I know, I understand this is your church now as you're tuning in and that's great, but I want to encourage you when this passes and it will pass. Don't forsake the assembling together of yourselves, not just here, but also in a life group. Here at the church, yes, under the apostles' teaching, under the teaching of the house and also breaking bread house to house with people. And and even right now, you don't have to wait for then. You can get involved right now. Those of you out there, uh, on the other end of this, we have e-groups. We do it through Zoom. We have a leader that will engage with you through through Zoom. If you're not comfortable coming back yet, they will engage with you that way. So sign up today to be part of an e-group, and we'll get you in an e-group where you are having community with people, and people can walk with you. God never meant for us to be alone. He never meant for us to be isolated. God meant for us to do life in community together. We're here to build each other up. So do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves as some are, in the, in, are of the manner of doing, but exhort one another. And so much the more as you see the day approaching. How can we exhort one another? How can we uh, uh, help each other move toward love and good works? if we're not walking together. We can't. We can't. That leads me to the last thing of why we do life groups. You can't experience God to his fullest unless you're doing life with other people. You can't experience his love because he loves you through others. He loves you through others being patient with you and kind with you and long-suffering with you and, and engaged with you, and he loves you in that way. He loves you by sending others to help you in times of help, to celebrate with you in times of celebration. He loves you through other people, through friendships that are built. He loves you that way. You can't experience his wisdom, the wisdom of his word that only comes through counsel of godly people the wisdom of his word that only comes through the understanding of his word. And when we stand alone and isolate as, a, as an island, we don't have a full understanding of what the word of God says. You can't, do, you can't live as a believer disconnected from everybody because the Bible, the Bible directs us to be in community with one another. And you can't do that. You can't live the Christian life without being in community because you miss out on his, on his care, his care for each other. He uses us to care for others. As you're going through a tough time, we cook meals for you. As we, you're going through a tough time, we can show up at the hospital. We can watch your kids. We can, you know, as, if we're in a life group together, we trust one another, we love each other. We're in it with, we're in it with each other. We're in it together. You can't experience his power without being in community with others. His power of the gifts of the Spirit, somebody giving you a prophetic word, somebody giving you a word of wisdom or a word of encouragement, a, a word that transforms your life. You can't experience having hands laid on you and experience healing because someone laid hands on you and prayed for you. People fasted for you. You were going through a tough time and people dialed in and fasted for you and prayed for you and quoted the word for you and were there to support you and and God broke through for you and brought, brought breakthrough to your life. That's what real friendship and community is all about and you can't experience that unless you're doing life with people. I have a short video I'd like for you to check out real quick. So check this out.
1: We've been coming to The Crossing since 2008. Yep. so we've been coming to The Crossing for a, long time, for a long, long time. And we've even stopped going to The Crossing and then found ourselves back in 2018. And before that, we weren't in a life group at all. And um, once we went through re-engage, we felt fo- we saw the power of a relationship with other like-minded um, um, couples, individuals, families all of that and that's what really drew us to um, joining a life group it's allowed us to grow and experience God in such a communal way that we didn't have before and individually it's really allowed us to connect and understand God in so many and on a higher level
2: when when we met each couple in our group, All of us were very vulnerable to, you know, the word and having faith and just, um, seeing each of us grow and seeing the relationship that we all have together and just listening to, um, David and Sarah. To me, it's very healing for me that I still have a little bit of struggles, but every time that I come here or we do Zoom, it really just opens more my heart to the faith and to God.
1: What I would say to somebody who's not in a life group is definitely seek it out because going to service just one day a week, it's not enough.
2: It's very encouraging and it'll help, you know, tremendously with individual struggles, marriage, and it's a family that you build.
1: It's, it's a missing piece in your growth and in your, your walk in, in Christ we need the relationship with one another and that in life groups what they do is they equip you not just to uplift and encourage those that are with you in your life group but it takes, it, it allows you to take everything that you learn there and apply it on another level whether it's in your workplace, with your family outside of the life group Outside of the church, to make disciples.
0: So I want to tell you, I want to tell you some of the some of the best friends I've made in life, I've made in godly community. People who whose lives were falling apart, and the truth is, mine was kind of falling apart at the time. That we. We began to have community with people even before we knew anything about life groups. And, and, the, and the truth is, I, I can think about some who are now lifelong friends who were part of our first life group, but we didn't call it a life group. We just had community with people. We had them over. We would talk to them. We would advise them. <laughs> we, we would encourage them about their marriage when our marriage was struggling. And by by refreshing others, God refreshed us. That's a biblical principle, that God refreshes those that refresh others. And if we're walking through life dry and crusty and unrefreshed, well, we might want to check to see if we're doing anything to refresh somebody else. Because we could have sat down in our dysfunction early in marriage, me and my wife, and we could have said, you know what, I, we're, we're so jacked up, we can't help anybody. <laughs> and we could have just got inward focused about ourselves, and who knows if we would have made it, but when we plugged in with other people, and we just began to walk with them and encourage them, and you know, we, we share biblical principles, but as we were sharing them, we were applying them to our own life. We were maybe one step ahead. If that, I think sometimes we weren't even a step ahead. They were ahead of us and helping us with things, and it was, it was brothers and sisters in it together. And I was a pastor at this time. But some of those people are, are, are now my best friends in life. And we've continued to do life with people as we move forward. And I mean, you know, probably, I don't know, lots of people have come through our life group. And, and even if we don't, don't address things specifically God begins to work things out in community and people ask for prayer and and let you know what's going on in their life and you can encourage them. And sometimes all somebody needs is to hear, you know what, you can make it. I don't know how. I don't know how God's gonna do it, but God's gonna do it for you. God's gonna do it for you and you and you and you. God's gonna do it. I don't know how, I'm gonna pray for you. I'm gonna pray that God gives you breakthrough. That's what life groups are all about. It's just doing life together. Carrying each other's burdens when we can't carry them ourselves. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you just didn't feel like praying? You didn't feel like fasting, you didn't feel like reading the word. Let me see some hands. Yeah. And the rest of you lying, or you ain't living. <laughs> Because the truth is we get to a place we just, we get, it, we're beat up so bad by life it's like, man, I, don't need, I can't even utter a prayer. And then your friends come along and say, I got you, man. I got you. That's what life groups are about. There, some, there are people in here today and possibly online viewing. You've heard a lot about godly community but you don't even know God. You've never given your life to him. And that, that's cool because we're, we're, we're about to take care of that. So we're all going to say this prayer out loud together. I want everybody to just bow your heads, close your eyes, and repeat after me out loud. Dear Jesus, I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I confess that you are Lord of my life. I ask you to change me and place me in godly community. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, every head bowed, every eye closed in the house, I'm going to count to three. And when I hit three, if you said that prayer for the first time, if you gave your life to Christ today, I want you to hold your hand up, bold, because we just want to give you a card where you can give us some information, where we can help you understand how to take the next steps in your relationship with God. So when I say three, just lift your hand. One, two, three. Lift them. I got you. Got you. Gotcha. Come on. Come on. Let's keep them up. Keep them up. Come on. Come on. Those of you online that are lifting your hands, come on, man. God is doing it. Y'all can give it up, man. God, people are getting saved. Gotcha. Keep those hands up. We have, we have an usher or someone, a prayer partner is going to give you a card so we can get your information and we can, we can help you along your path. Now, for the rest of us that are saved and for even those who just got saved, and even, even if you're not saved, you don't have to be saved to get in a life group. If you, hadn't, you didn't make the decision today, that's fine. You still get in a life group because sometimes you want to belong before you believe to find out what it's all about. That's cool. Get in. So today in our, in our lobbies, uh, we have out on our patio, if it's not raining, if we did, we moved it to the lobby, um, but out on the patio we have what we call group link. It's where you go and you sign up for a life group. So everybody in here should either be in a life group, sign up for a life group, or sign up to lead a life group today. Because godly community is how God established it. And it may not be your normal. Because just because it's normal to you don't mean it's God's normal. God's normal is community. Our normal can be jacked up. And mine was, but it's not anymore. Well, I don't know. Some of it still is. But I'm working on that. (laughs) So let's everybody stand for just a minute. We're going to worship for just a minute. Pastor Jeremy will be right out to close us.